Good afternoon, church. It's great to see you once again. Uh, if it's your first time, if you're new to our church, my name is Nino. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and today we are, I have the immense privilege of opening God's Word with you. And we are continuing today our study in the book of 1 Timothy. And we'll be focusing on the verse 12 through 17 of the first chapter. So if you have a Bible, you can open there. Uh, but before we, we focus on our text for today, I just want you to consider one of Jesus' parables with you. So it's in Matthew 13, verse 45 to 46. Jesus said, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for a fine pearl, who on find one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Friends, as I said here many times, we need to remember that what we are doing here as a church is of internal, eternal importance. This is not just a social gathering. This is not a lecture on a certain book of the Bible. This is not a coaching session for you to live your best life now. When we gather together as a church and we open the Bible, you're talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we are talking about life eternal here. And we cannot talk about such things in a casual manner. So, understand this. Is if you misunderstand the message of the Bible, if you misunderstand the gospel message, what is at stake? It's not the laws of theological battle, but it's the eternal laws of your soul. That's why it's important. That's why we make this effort to understand the Bible well and correctly. There is nothing more valuable than one person, one person's soul. And for this reason, this person in the parable, when he finds this precious pearl, which is eternal life, is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He sells everything in order to attain this one treasure. And friends, I don't know if you realize that, but the person in the parable doesn't even need to be commanded to sell everything. But once he finds this one pearl, he goes away, sells everything, and gets this one pearl. And the point... The point is, if, if you truly understand the gospel, if you truly understand the message contained in the Bible, you would abandon everything to follow Jesus. That's the only response that's fit. If you abandon anything in order to have Jesus feels like a sacrifice to you, it's because you can't see the beauty and the preciousness of the gospel yet. John Calvin, one of the great reformers, once he said, the gospel does not receive from us the respect which it deserves unless we prefer it to all the riches, all the pleasures, honors, advantages of the world and to, to such extent that we are satisfied with spiritual blessings which it promises and throw aside everything that would keep us from enjoying it. And that's what we're doing here today. And today my prayer is that you would 
have your eyes open to see the infinite value of the gospel. And in this, I, I recognize my, my dependence of the Holy Spirit, on the Holy Spirit as well. Because it doesn't matter how well I present this passage of Scripture. If God does not open your eyes to see, I can do nothing. It does not matter how good this seed is. If the soil is not good to receive it, you will not fruitify. And it is with this understanding in my mind that in all my sincerity here, what the, 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 the fruit I want to see from this sermon is not you coming after your sermon to me and say, great, great sermon, great job. But I want you to be forgotten and see you abandoning everything to follow Jesus. So let's pray and ask that the Lord can be moving in our church today and open our eyes to see the beauty and the preciousness of the gospel of Christ. Heavenly Father, we, we come in your presence one more, one more day, one more weekend that we can gather as your church. We are here to glorify your name, to sing praises to your name, and to sit under your word in knowing we are fully dependent on you and the, the acting of your Holy Spirit to make us and help us to understand. And I ask, Lord, that you can be present in our midst in this moment. We, we know you're always here with us, but I, I'm asking for your presence in a special manner, God. In the same way Jesus was walking around sometimes, but sometimes he was healing, casting out demons, and he was showing the power of God. We want to see the power of God manifest in your church today. That hearts can be changed, eyes can be opened, that souls can be touched. Those who are weak, that it can be strengthened. Those who are discouraged, that it can, might be encouraged. Those who are living in sin, that they can find conviction. Their word can be this word that changes everything, that hurts us, but at the same time it heals us. And we ask, Lord, because we know when you come in your presence in the name of Jesus Christ, you listen to our prayers and you're a good Father who wants to give us good gifts. And that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's read our text, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17. Chris just read it for us, but I want to read it again. So it says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appoint me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love there in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance 
that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory, forever and ever. Amen. So friends, these verses we just read, they are yet part of the same topic we studied last week that Matt walk us through. Paul here warning and give, giving Timothy instructions about false teachers. That's the context of the passage. And Paul tells Timothy that he, in verse 3 and 4, with the same chapter, he says, he may, might, may charge certain persons to not teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote a speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. And he tells Shemoth that the purpose of this charge is, what's the purpose of this charge? It's not to win a theological battle against the false teachers. But as we see in verse 5, he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Friends, the good doctrine, we always produce love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. Good theology humbles us. Good theology brings us to our knees. Good theology makes us more like Jesus. And when I'm talking about theology here, I'm not talking about just a, this academic effort to understand the Bible. But we need to understand that theology is something that just can be learned by bringing together verbal teaching and practice. It's what you hear from God, as Chris was saying a minute ago here, to build your, 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 your house in, in the, the rock is the one who listens and does those things. If you just listen to the word, it doesn't matter if you're charismatic, reformed, if, it doesn't matter. Because you don't do anything anyway. So you're telling me a seminary student have a good theology when now he does just read books, attend classes. It's, this, it's the same as saying someone can be a good cook just by reading cookbooks, but never cooking anything himself. Or someone can be a very good soccer player without even entering the field to play it. That's not existent. And I think the, a major mistake in the evangelical church today is this belief that we are saved by our profession of faith. Church, we are saved by faith and not, not by your profession of faith. Our mouths should publicly declare, profess what is true about our lives. That's what James says. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Listening and talking about the word without doing it becomes self-deception. Because you believe you have a good theology, but it's just you just talk about those things. You don't do anything. You don't live good theology. 
He says, if someone claims to have faith, but it has no deeds, can such a faith save them? So that's why Paul says the aim of our charge, the aim to teach sound doctrine, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And Paul does not explicitly say what the wrong doctrines these teachers are spreading are. But he tells the foundation of these false teachers. They're based on myths, speculations, vain discussions, and the wrong use of the law of God. And it leads people to live a life of sin. And interestingly enough, Paul tells us in verse 7 that these teachers, they teach without understanding either what they are saying or things about which they make confident assertions. These false teachers, they are confident even without truly understanding what they are saying. And it's important for us to have all of this in mind as we enter our text for today because after having strict Timothy to charge these people to not teach any different doctrine, he now gives us the foundations of the true doctrine, of sound doctrine. Let's read again verse 12 and 13. Keep your Bible open in First Timothy 1. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The Apostle Paul is here thanking God for being saved and for being appointed to serve God. The word for service here in Greek is diakonia, from where we get the term deacons that we're going to be studying later in this book. And it implies the task of those who execute the commands of someone else. And it says here, he thanked Jesus our Lord. The word for Lord here in Greek is kurios. And it's not just a void title for Jesus. People sometimes think like the Lord Jesus is just like a, a title. The Lord is a person or someone to, to, to whom someone or a thing belongs. And, about, and this person has the power to decide this, this future, the tasks for this person. So you have the Lord... And he has servants, slaves that belong to him. And these slaves, these servants need to do what this Lord is calling them and asking them to do, commanding them to do. So Paul sees himself as a servant of Jesus. And he sees his ministry as given by the Lord, as an act of mercy and grace for his, from his master. And not just that, but he understands the strength, that the strength to carry on his service comes from the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So Jesus got someone who is a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an opponent. And the, the word here for insolent opponent can be a violent opponent too. And he transformed this person into someone overflowing in faith and love. And he gave him a task in the kingdom of God and gave him all the strength, the power to exercise this task. So Jesus enabled him. To serve. Friends, that's how good doctrine is born. From a place of humbleness. You humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. The true knowledge of God is set apart for those who come before him with a broken heart. 
in meekness, in a humble spirit. Knowing how wretched you are. And how, knowing how, how much of a sinner you are. You don't come before God demanding him to reveal himself to you. You don't open your Bible believing you have in yourself all the capacity and the tools to understand and know God. You don't attain holiness because you are resolving your own strength to have that. You don't serve because you have certain skills and abilities and Jesus really needs you to build his church. No, the Lord does not need us. None of us. And we need to remember who you used to be. Blasphemers, arrogant, sexually immoral, liars, robbers, full of hatred, violent people, insolent people. That's who we used to be. And we are by nature destined to face the wrath of God. We are enemies of God. Totally blind and ignorant. Let us not forget who we used to be. And false doctrine arises from a place of arrogance. It comes from a heart full of self-confidence. The Apostle Paul, if you're familiar with his story, as is found in Acts, he was a Pharisee, which is one of the groups who was like leading religion during his time. He was educated in one of the best schools of the Jewish tradition. Gamaliel, he had all the badges one would judge necessary for a man of God, for a man who knows the word of God, knows God. And he was a very zealous Jew, always ready to protect what he believed to be the truth. Paul, before he became a Christian, traveled around to preach the gospel. He was already traveling around, but to persecute Christians who in his mind were corrupting the truth. Until one day, he has this encounter on this road, and he realized how ignorant he was, and how full of unbelief he was. He thought he knew the truth. He thought he was full of faith, and he was sincerely wrong. And many times we think that being sincere is a good thing. But in his sincere belief, he became a persecutor of the very thing he claimed to hold fast to. He thought he was persecuting the blasphemers, but he realized he was the blasphemer. He thought he was going after those who were corrupt in the truth. But his whole endeavor was based on lies and misconceptions about the word of God. He was the one corrupting the truth. Now look at the last part of verse 13 and 14 with me. He says, But I, being this man, received great mercy because I act in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflow for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We see here, Two concepts that are foundational to the gospel. Mercy and grace. Mercy is about giving aid to someone who is afflicted. 
So God, even though we are his enemies, he does not treat us as enemies. But he sees us as deeply wounded. And in his mercy, he helps us. In his mercy, instead of giving us the judgment we deserve, he stretched his hands to help us. That's the mercy of God. And grace is about giving us something we don't deserve. From his mercy flows his grace. That as Paul says here, overflows in faith and love. Paul would not have mercy and neither grace upon the Christians he was persecuting. Received both from Christ. He was full of violence and hatred. Receive love, gentleness, and patience from Christ. When we read here that the grace of our Lord overflowed for me, we remember what Paul taught in Romans 5, 20, when he says, Now the law came, came in to increase the trespass, but where it's increased, grace abound all the more. Now do you remember the aim of Paul's charge against the false teachers? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In the same way, Paul received mercy and grace in his encounter with the truth. And this grace overflowing faith and love, now he extends the same to these false teachers. The same ignorance he sees in his old self. He sees in these false teachers. The same confidence he sees in his old self. He sees in the, his false teachers. And friends, when he says here, he act in ignorance and unbelief, he's not excusing himself. In the same text, he says he's the worst or the foremost of sinners. So friend, our sincerity and our zeal if it does not come accompanied by true knowledge, it will lead us into destruction. As the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it doesn't matter if you go to, come to church every Sunday, if you're trying sincerely to be a good Christian. If you don't, you're not building your house in the right, right foundation, you're going to find destruction. It's interesting to think that Paul would call himself ignorant. As I mentioned before, he was very educated. And the scriptures were not strange to him. But when Jesus found him, he realized how ignorant he was. He tends to think that we, we tend to think that knowing things about lots of things and having lots of information in our brains. And having this information somewhat articulated is what means having knowledge. But true knowledge is knowing the truth. The day Paul had this encounter with Jesus resurrected, he realized how ignorant he was. All the information he had, all the systems he learned, led him to persecute the one he claimed to be protecting and having zeal for. And he realized that what he believed to be faith was actually unbelief. 
In his ignorance, he was putting his trust in something else other than God and his word. So friends, faith misplaced is no faith, it's unbelief. I was talking to my friend Charles this week, and he told me a sentence that's perfect in this context. He said, based on Hebrews 11, one, he said, faith is the conviction of things that are unseen, and unseen does not mean unknown. Many people think faith is just like believing something you don't really know. No, we know. We know the word of God. And we trust the word of God. And we trust his promise, even though we don't see it. Friends, ignorance and unbelief, they walk together. And faith will always come accompanied by true knowledge of God. And now just a quickly, coming back to verse 12, when Paul says, I thank him has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appoint me to his service. What does it mean for God to judge you or someone faithful? It means he was found walking in the truth and trusting it and abiding by it. He was rescued from his state of unbelief and ignorance. And now he is enabled to truly serve the Lord. That's the foundation of any Christian ministry. And we see later in this, in this letter how the pastor, the elder, the deacons who lead the church, they should have this, vis- this visible in their lives. They should be people who walk in the truth. They have their families based in the truth. They know how to handle the word of truth well and teach people. Because that's where the church is built. And Paul gives us now this sentence that's foundational to all good doctrine and consequent good living. He says in verse 15, the saints trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is considered to be one of the, the most ancient creeds of the Christian church, the Christian faith. And it's a doctrine statement that it's foundation to everything else we can learn about God. We could spend a whole sermon series on this one sentence because, as I said, it's foundation for everything in the gospel message and sustains the whole building of doctrine. It seems to be a very straightforward sense, but here we have a firm first that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one of the Lord. He's, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the chosen one of God and promised throughout the whole Old Testament that he would come into the world and redeem sinners. And this Messiah did not come to save right, the righteous, but he came to save sinners. Do you remember what was the constant friction between Jesus and the Pharisees? That Jesus was walking with sinners. Mark 2.17, Jesus said this. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The religious had a wrong understanding in their minds 
that the Messiah would come to save righteous people. And they were not truly righteous. They just thought they were. And in their arrogance, in their, in their ignorance, they made the true Messiah unnecessary. And they craft their own version of the Messiah, which would be someone who would come into the world to affirm them in their theology and their way of living. That was their theology. Do you remember what Paul mentioned? The wrong use of the law previously in chapter 1? So that's what he's talking about. We see all throughout the Old Testament, including uh, in the religious leaders of the New Testament, Paul, that they were using the law in the wrong manner. They were seeking to attain righteousness through obedience to the law. When the whole purpose of the law were not to save them or to redeem them, but to show them how sinful they were and their necessity of the mercy and the grace of God. And every time you want to use a tool for a purpose, it wasn't created. You have to twist it to accomplish this new task you invented. So people even today, they start twisting the word of God. Not to show how sinful we are, but how great and how great our Savior is, but about how great we are and how unnecessary Christ is in our lives. Friends, any biblical teaching that makes a big deal about who we are and how important our choices are and how important our skills are for the kingdom and puts all the power in our hands and capacity to do things and be something, this is false doctrine. I don't know if you realize, but Paul said he received mercy. Or he, he, he was mercy. He did not find mercy. Mercy found him. He did not find love. Love find him, found him. And Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not the righteous. The Bible says Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. And he loved us when we, we, he had nothing, no reason to love us. He loved us when everything we did was to hate him and persecute him. And all of us, all of us, should have the same sentiment we found here of the sinners. I am the foremost. I'm the worst. Friends, I, I am the worst sinner that I know. When I look into God's world, in, God, in God's word, sorry, I don't see how great I am, but I see how terrible I am and how in need of grace I am. If every time you open your Bible, you just feel yourself affirm and you just, I'm a great man, I'm a great woman, you're really wrong. The Bible, humble sinners, exalt our Savior. And that's where the study of the Bible, the study of theology starts. On our knees before the, the Lord. Sustain and strength. By his mercy, his grace, his patience, his love, his faithfulness to us. And thanking him for being so good to us. That's what Paul says. I thank the Lord who is strengthening. And friends, we receive mercy with a purpose. 
Paul says in verse 16, he says, But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So friends, you and I, we receive mercy so that we could be banners of the grace of God. Sound doctrine, good theology, transforms us into this display of the perfect patience of our Lord. And people will come to believe the Lord Jesus because in us, the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ are made visible. Friends, that's the gospel. That's what son doctrine looks like. And that's how we ought to be as the church of Jesus Christ. And our last verse for today shows how good doctrine, good theology ends. If we start by humbling ourselves before the Lord, in our knees before the Lord, we finish it in doxology, in praise to the Lord. That's how you know you're learning good theology. Your heart is in praise to the Lord. Good doctrine leads us into humble worship. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how good theology ends. And that's what I invite, want to invite you to do now. We are now going to pray and, and sing and worship to the only God who deserves all the honor, all the glory, forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we, we love you so much. And because we are loved first. We come in your presence, Lord, and we humble ourselves before you. We know we don't deserve anything we receive from you, Lord. And we don't know how you can love people like us. People who are constantly giving you reasons to not, to not receive love. To not receive mercy. To not receive patience. You're so good to us. We thank you, Lord, because you not just saved us, but you overflow your grace in us so that we can serve our brothers and sisters, we can serve the world. And teach us, Lord, to be these banners of your grace. You want to be this clear, the embodiment of what is a wretched sinner who was saved by grace, who received your love. And we want to walk in true knowledge, Lord. I ask that we remove from our hearts all the confidence that's based on lies. Remove from our minds any resistance to change, to learn the truth. All those who are imprisoned by theological systems, the things they learn and they don't want to let it go, Show yourself to the Lord today. And as the man in the parable, give us a heart that is ready to abandon everything 
to pursue you. So that we can be this church. God, that really live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Who understands the gospel. A community that's centered in the gospel. Humble us in this moment, Lord. And give us a heart to love you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.